and welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vanderwerf, the I and I Think You're Interesting. And this week we're going to do something a little bit different on this show. Instead of an interview, straight interview, I have brought some of my favorite film critics uh, in to talk about summer movies because it's it's 4th of July season. You're probably escaping into a movie theater to sit in the air-conditioned cool and not worry about the heat, if you're at all like me. Uh, and uh, I, I, I really have been thinking about how this past several years we've seen some some pretty good summer movies. So I wanted to bring in some some folks I, I, I know and enjoy reading their work and, and talk about what are the best summer movies of the 21st century. So joining me this week are David Sims and Allison Wilmore. Hi, folks. Hi. Hello. David is a writer for The Atlantic and co-hosts the podcast Blank Check. And Allison is a writer for BuzzFeed and co-hosts the podcast Film Spotting SVU. I have that all right, correct? You do. Podcasts for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So the idea was that this week we were going to – I made you all make lists of the five best summer movies since the year 2000. But before we dive into that, I want to just do some sort of of general film criticism discussion, which is – I kind of remember when I was a teenager, like summer movie season was like, yeah, they're making movies for me. Uh, and now that I have to see all of them, I don't want to say I have like trepidation because I still love a great summer movie. But certainly like when I f- had to go see, we're recording this in May. So I recently saw Pirates of the Caribbean 5. I was like, Jesus Christ, what am I doing <laughs> with my life? Uh, how, how do you guys approach like summer movie season as critics? I'll say, I think Allison skipped because we had a conversation about seeing Pirates 5 and Allison skipped it. I I, skip. That was an insulting movie, <laughs> uh, even by, right? I've always been a bit of a box office nerd as well as a sort yeah. of general movie nerd. And I feel like summer becomes this sort of, the summer season's like a sporting thing where you're kind of like maybe rooting for some of your favorite stars or like, you know, there's a project you think is more original or more unusual and so you're kind of like watching out for that one to do well slash like managing your expectations for it being a total flop and uh, I think that's always been one way I kind of weather it but it's getting I would I would argue it's getting tougher okay yeah I will say uh, two years ago we had a summer of movies that had a Mm. lot of blockbusters that were sequels often or franchise movies that I thought were great and I Mm. thought you know what maybe the fact that everything has to be based on existing intellectual property is not such a bad thing there's there's room within this to make a movie that actually feels pretty fresh and original and then these this summer and the last summer basically crushed that out of me last summer was really tough it was really tough and this summer has not been great so far I will say, you know, Todd, you said you brought up the idea that uh, these movies that are made for me and like certainly we are probably edging out, if not already Mm -hmm. out of the target demographic, the classic target demographic age wise for a blockbuster. But I think also in a more influential way. The U.S. is no longer the target demographic for a blockbuster. If you look at the last Pirates of the Caribbean movie, it made like $200 million, I think, domestically around that, and $800 million abroad. Mm -hmm. You know, we are no longer essential to the success of a tentpole movie. Yeah, I was sort of looking at the list I was compiling as we were doing this, and what I went through is I went through the box office mojo charts for every year for since 2000, wrote down movies I thought sort of belonged on here. Uh, And I wrote down far fewer in, like, the last five years than Mm -hmm. uh, in the first 13 or whatever it was. Did you also sort of see that trend? Like, like, do you think that's just, like, we're getting older or the movies are getting worse? (laughs) Well, it's a little both, right? I mean, what amounted to a summer movie, I think, used to just be a little broader back in the day. Now we're in an 
era where like you'll open a sequel against a sequel. Like things like that'll happen, mm. which feels sort of like ludicrous. It used to be there were like four or five big sequels every summer. You know, like there there was a, you know your giant franchises, sure, but there wasn't one a week, which it there basically is now. I'm very excited for a movie called Valerian. This is not a sequel. Valerian mm-hmm. in yeah. the City of a Thousand Planets. It's got a thousand planets. It's got a guy called Valerian. I'm really hyped for it. It's opening against Dunkirk, the only other like sort of original, you know, big budget movie of the summer, practically. And when I saw that on the schedule, I, I my like jaw dropped. I was like, how are we like we're gonna let these movies essentially cannibalize themselves while, you know, other movies are gonna have whole weekends to themselves. Yeah. I don't know. I, I now now I sound like a grumpy old man, which is sort of I guess, the, what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, when I made my list, I, it actually is a mix of, of films that are not all just from early in the... I had a lot of early. Really? Well, that's yeah, good. That I had some Too much overlap. I still do think there is room to make something that is joyous and fun within the realms, like the increasingly kind of dictated realms of what a blockbuster is. I just feel like as franchises become more essential than individual movies, you see so much less authorship from people. Like things feel like they are strategically setting up uh, sequels and setting up, they're doing marketing, you know, they're doing their own marketing in a way that often feels very inessential to the movie itself. And that when you're watching something and you're aware that that plot line has nothing to do with the actual main arc of a movie, that's always frustrating to me. Yeah. So before we dive into, into the lists, we are recording this again, uh, sort of late May, right before Memorial Day weekend in in uh, May. What are you still looking forward to? I have not seen Wonder Woman. You've both seen it. I'm I'm looking forward to that. So I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. throw that out as a movie I think could be a lot of fun. Wonder Woman's, uh, I think, really, really terrific. And I was very happy about that. That, that felt like to me like a kind of straightforward sort of superhero movie in the way that you don't see as much anymore. Didn't seem as worried about being as part of a franchise. Didn't seem as worried about subverting uh, genre tropes. Like it more felt like to me like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies or I guess sort of the first Captain America movie. But even that had had a little more baggage than this one. Mm. You mentioned Valerian and I'm really Ah, looking forward to Valerian. Every subsequent tw- trailer they've released that makes it m- look more and more like the fifth element <laughs> yes. meets Jupiter, the Jupiter Ascending. The budget, fifth element, right. Yeah, and Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> yes. And just like the more, like, this is the most on-brand movie for me of all time. <laughs> uh, you know, the wackier it looks. Um, I'm also, I'm looking forward to Baby Driver. Yeah, me too. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's always Ooh. so much fun. And that looks like the kind of movie that uh, is very kind of against the grain of Edgar what Wright. an enjoyable summer movie has become and yet also fits in with it. This yeah. is, I mean, I'm looking at this list. This is tough. I'm mildly excited for War of the Planet of the Apes because I always enjoy those movies, but they also, they never really stick with me. Like, I'll admit, like, six months later, I kind of forget they, that I even saw them. Mm. But Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was very good, and Matt Reeves is a pretty uh, darn competent blockbuster director. I don't know. What do you think, Todd? I'm excited for that one. I I, I, I did like the first two. I actually had Dawn of the Planet of the Apes probably, probably be in, like, my top 15 if I extended this list. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited to see that one. Uh, it is, I do have, I guess I would say, I don't want to say franchise fatigue because there are franchises I still like, but I am I am a little more inclined these days to look toward movies that are like, you know, Wonder Woman where they're in a franchise, but it's not something I've seen a million times or something like Baby Driver where it's it's not anything I've seen before. So uh, that certainly has sort of played into, into where uh, my anticipation levels have come from. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I, let's 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 move on to the list making. Uh, Allison, you had mentioned that you had some sort of set some rules for yourself, <laughs> and I think we all did. So <laughs> yes. like, let's kind of talk about that. What I initially when I initially sent out the email, I said you know it had to be a summer movie and it had to be a summer popcorn movie, which meant that something like Inception was probably okay, but like a smaller indie movie like Boyhood. Uh, maybe we wouldn't include, but I also wanted to leave you guys a lot of room for interpretation. So tell me how you interpreted those instructions. All right. Well, I I set the rule for myself that it had to come out in summer, which mm-hmm. I think David did as well. Yeah, May uh, to August, I yeah, guess, August-ish. sort of the range. Yeah. yeah, just, I mean, now there's been so much Yeah, I feel like now summer that, starts in like February. Right, but, like uh, these movies that we would consider popcorn movies uh, come out all over the place. Also now we take popcorn movies. I mean, it implies a kind of, Frivolousness, but right. we take them so seriously <laughs> right. that the idea of that as like a kind of throwaway, uh, it doesn't feel like it necessarily applies all that much anymore. There are franchises that I like slash love mm-hmm. that I, I didn't end up putting a particular installment in in here because I feel like as a whole they mean more to me than maybe individual installments. So I'm thinking of one franchise in particular. I feel like we I, might yes, be thinking Yes, I came very one. close to including Fast and the Furious, right. Tokyo Drift, but <laughs> then ultimately, and I'm a great defender of that movie as that movie, I think yeah. the start, yep. yeah, the start of the modern mm-hmm. the Furious Lin universe. universe. <laughs> uh, but, but I didn't end up including it. Right. I did also want to say these are all wide American releases, so I didn't yeah. end up including a foreign blockbuster, even though there are some that I love that mm. I would consider great popcorn movies. And one more thing I did want to say, uh, I am very aware of how the kind of default for a popcorn movie skews masculine. I know, I had, of, the same, I had the same yes, conversation and with myself. I, I tried really hard to rep hard. Like a romantic comedy or something, but honestly, I've just never been a big <laughs> studio romantic comedy person. So I, I thought about it a lot and just didn't end up including one, though I did want to give a shout out to 2011's Friends with Benefits. Sure. Which is a surprisingly great <laughs> that's the, movie. That's the Timberlake Cunis, Yes, right? not, not the other one. Not, not no the Port, Portman uh, Couture one, which right. is uh, not nearly as good. Mm. Mm. I feel like there's always fierce debate over which of those you prefer. <laughs> is there? Which of, I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> I like that <laughs> I one I mean, I would too. love to have that debate, but I don't think that anyone wants to indulge me in it. Um, yeah, no, I had the same. I like. I worked up a sort of longish list. And even in the longest list, I was, I was like, this is rough in terms of uh, these are all movies about boys. But, of course, that is a conversation Hollywood's continuing to have with its audiences and people are having online. And, uh, you know, I don't like that, but it's certainly it's certainly worthy of acknowledging. I would have picked Fast Five of the Fast and Furious movies. And I also I, – there's a movie in 2011 I like better that obeys these parameters. So it, I, I was like, ah, I can't have two from the same year. Mm-hmm. All right. I had that same thing where I was like, I really, I just really want to include a comedy period. Uh, and one of the last movies I cut was, was Bridesmaids, um, which I really liked I kind of stretching the definition a little bit, but, uh, and I also thought about including Anchorman for a while, but like, yeah, this is mm. a very action heavy yep. boy heavy thing. And the thing that I sort of kept returning to was like, I had three names that sort of kept coming up as I was making my list, which was Steven Spielberg, Pixar, Pixar's not a name, but you know what I mean, and uh, Christopher Nolan. I do have a Spielberg and a Pixar movie on my list, but I got Christopher Nolan, and I feel sort of bad, but, I just, you know. Don't I feel like, bad. Don't yeah. feel bad. <laughs> I like his movies, but I, not I stand for Christopher Nolan, but I also, <laughs> yeah, he made my long list, but not yeah. my short list. Okay. So let's start. Allison, what do you have at number five? 
All right. At number five, I have a Marvel movie. I have Guardians of the Galaxy, the first Mm. one. The first one. James Gunn's, you know, it's both an ode to space operas and it is a self-aware space opera. It is like about someone basically escaping into a universe Mm -hmm. that feels out of the ephemera of his childhood, which he has also brought with him. And I just loved the way that it managed to do that without also kind of eating itself, you know, that uh, it wasn't ironic. It was it was purely joyful. I, I think that especially the the title sequence, uh, you know, in which Chris Delightful. Pratt is like dancing on this planet yeah. um, uh, it is like one of the great shots uh, of kind of recent movies that I can think of. And he's all small in the frame. And right. The and the title, title is gigantic. It's, I, I think Was it's just it? wonderful. Genuine like laugh line. And yeah, that's, that's hard to get. You know, uh, yeah. I think that this is the only Marvel movie on my list, and I think given how kind of ascendant they've become in pop culture, it's funny how many of them I enjoy and how few of them individually I love. Sure. This is really the only one that I have wholeheartedly loved, and I think it's just because well, one, it feels like it's the work of one particular person. In a way that most of the others do not. So many of the others feel like they have been assembled, sometimes very skillfully, by, you know, a corporation. And it's just, I I think that, like, the dorky little jokes and the kind of bits of action that are not necessarily about saving the world, but sometimes just escaping from prison, are so well done. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of a grouch about that movie. Like, I like it. You are a grouch. I am a grouch about that movie. I I like we've argued about it. I like the second one a lot more, which I think is kind of a minority opinion. Um, But I don't know. Something about the first one kind of, kind of, I don't know. It didn't work for me, but I, I liked it. Obviously, so uh, David, you don't, you, you don't like to have fun. I don't problem. like to have. Now, why fun. do you hate joy, Todd? I do. I hate joy. I, joy I, and well, laughter. What it is is I hate raccoons, and I only like talking trees if they're baby <laughs> talking trees. So that that's that's how, that's where I come down. Uh, David, how do you feel about Guardians? And then more importantly, what's your number five? Uh, I like Guardians a lot. It is also probably my favorite of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My my actual favorite is Iron Man 3, but that's a movie that I enjoy because it is, to, to me, kind of like sort of sticking a middle finger to the whole idea uh, yeah. of building a franchise. And uh, it's just, it's an extremely anarchic, strange thing that I feel like never never will get the respect it deserves. But uh, But like, it's more of a sort of classic, like, you know, Marvel superhero thing, like like Allison said, it's 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 James Gunn. It's the fact that they let it, they let a director kind of just do his own thing, and it's basically removed from the larger. I mean, it has to have Thanos, in it. right? Who is that. like the least interesting part of the movie? He is. Certainly. I mean, he sits in a chair. Look, yeah. he's he's very grumpy. <laughs> we get told how badass he is, but see no evidence yet. Um, my number five. I forgot to order these, so I'm sort of like looking at them and thinking, what's my number? My number five. Is probably when my weirdest pick, which is Miami Vice, oh, Michael Mann's yeah. mm-hmm. 2006 revamping of his TV show starring Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx, which was a colossal, colossal bomb on release. I think it got sort of mild critical notices, but it was. He's got was, supporters. There are some people I mean, well, who he's like, always. He, love Michael him. Mann has his fans yeah. for sure. Um, but uh, I feel like it's a movie that's cult sort of slowly grew. Um, but certainly on release, it was basically s- dismissed as like this is the apex of egotistical, <laughs> um, like male Hollywood filmmaking with like, you know, like, and people were sick of Colin Farrell being pushed on them as a star and all that. And there were all these reports of, you know, ego on set and all that stuff. Uh, that movie is 
so great. <laughs> I don't know what you guys think of it. It is so weird. Uh, it is sort of like elemental. It like it has a plot that you're just, you're thrown into the middle of it and you have no idea what's going. I guess the plot is just that they're busting some drug lords. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> they take a boat to Cuba. That's the part that counts. Yeah. Um, so good. But it is so weird and hypnotic and just a lot of people looking out on the ocean and wondering like. You know, what their roles were in life. And Jamie Foxx talking about how skyscrapers stand still, but people move. And <laughs> Gong Lee with a Cuban accent. Right. And, and being a fiend for mojitos. Oh, she's Colin a fiend Farrell. for mojitos. Yeah. I think that movie is so dreamy and weird and, like, probably the last— Well, there was Black Hat, I suppose. But it's, it's probably the last time Michael Mann's going to get to make a sort of, like— tentpole movie, right? Like, I don't the know. Public Enemy was sort of a tentpole yeah, movie. That was a, that's a good movie, too. I yeah, like that movie. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe he'll keep getting uh, chances. But uh, I, what do you guys think of Miami Vice? I love Miami Vice. I think it's gorgeous. It's I gorgeous. feel like, like the more I have loved Michael Mann's mm. earlier movies a lot, and I think the more he's made them in recent years, the more remote they have felt to me. Like, yeah. still really beautiful, but I, I have always loved the totally, like, swooping romanticism of, like, Last of the Mohicans the sure. best. Great and I movie. feel like... I appreciate Miami Vice, but it's I don't love it quite as much. I do. It is really funny to think of within the kind of confines of what a TV-based blockbuster right. has become. That, that's <laughs> not that's Baywatchy what he did. at all. It's true. It's true. Right. It's it's almost a film that's like there was a TV show called Miami Vice. I don't remember that at all. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, like anyway, this is all about your opsec getting blown, and you know, you'd be you know isolating your wireless signal. Is it's all it's all nonsense. It's it's like just like a weird bubbling cauldron, like of crazy dialogue and and people in suits just sort of looking around. And I I, I just think you'll never see a summer blockbuster like that again. It's weird because he was involved in the TV series as well. Yeah, and mm-hmm. like, at, least, I think at least in like the first season. I feel like he departed. Yeah, at some he, point. he left pretty soon. This is so. This is sort of the the Twin Peaks of two thousand six. Right, it's like <laughs> Michael Mann returns to make it all right. Um, I like I like Miami Vice. I, I don't love it quite as much as you, though. I feel like you could stare at any single frame of Miami Vice, and if you knew David Sims, be like David Sims probably likes this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, damn right. I just I just remember that scene where they're like standing on on the roof of a park garage and like there's a yep. thunderstorm rumbling in the background it's just like wow this is cool your opsec um, is blown <laughs> that's that's where he says it <laughs> but yeah my number five is 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 a is a different kind of take on the action genre uh i i struggled between this one and a different one in the series but i ultimately went with um the born ultimatum from 2007 this is the pick on my list I feel the least sure of because I haven't seen it in a while. I watched it last year to prepare for the the kind of bad Jason Bourne that came out last year. But I, I really remember I thought this movie was even then sort of as pulse-pounding and involving as it had been. Uh, Paul Greengrass's sort of crazy editing style, which I think got called Chaos Cinema for a while. Uh, it really <laughs> works. And he's like the only one who's pulled it off. And like if you dig into it, you see that – He's really good at like directing your eye where to go, even as the as the editing is cutting all over the place. Um, but I I just think about certain sequences in this movie and they just hang with me. I'm somebody like 
I often, if a movie has flaws, I notice them, but like I only remember the things about it that I loved. And sometimes that means I overinflate movies. And I worry I'm doing that here, but I, I do love these movies. So I, I say The Bourne Ultimatum at, at number five. Uh, the other one I thought about was Supremacy, but then I decided I was too mad about uh, Ultimatum is better. Yeah. yeah, Ultimatum may figure on my list as okay. well. I, I'll say this. I just saw it. I literally watched it on TV. Not all of it, but maybe like 60% of it. Right. Like last week, and it's great. And it's one of those things where you're watching it, and you're like, right, like— you you realize like yeah people kept kept trying to make this kind of movie after it and it didn't really work and the shaky cam everyone got sick of it and of course Paul Greengrass even makes another Jason Bourne movie and it's pretty bad but that early scene I guess it's in the Waterloo train sequence yeah. train station yeah. sequence where he like takes out like six guys and then you cut to David Strathairn in the control room and he goes like, Jesus Christ, that's Jason Bourne. <laughs> it's like, it's so good. It's it's so much fun. I, I, oh. think, I think that one of the things you mentioned, Strathairn, one of the things that made these movies work is they always had pitch perfect casting. Like every part had somebody great in it. Great and, casting. And I, just great. I, Greengrass is a deceptively great actor's director. Um, and I, I think that that makes these work. But if if it may feature later, I'll, I'll I'll stop talking about it. And David, I'll ask you, what's your number four? Four is my Steven Spielberg movie. Maybe you guys have it too. I don't know. Minority Report, 2002 sci-fi, Philip K. Dick, Tom Cruise classic, Minority Report. Guys, that may that people may feature, into Minority Report that may feature. I on didn't. My but I think it's a good movie. Uh, another Colin Farrell movie, which I'm just realizing. Yeah. Is, uh, he is my favorite star. I am, I am. Colin Farrell is is my favorite actor of, like, whatever, of the sort of A-list actors of his generation. There is another movie that I feel like would be, it would be hard to make today. Mm. Uh, even though it was part of a trend that I think was very common in the early 2000s of, like, Let's take a Philip K. Dick story and turn it into an action movie. Can we do that? Like there were movies like Paycheck, yep. you know, and uh, there's another one with Gary Sinise that I'm forgetting the name of. Don't even know. <laughs> um, and uh, it's such a moody, haunted movie. It's such an impressive feat of world building. It's it's an underrated Cruise performance, actually. It's a, sort of a, a weirdly good performance by him that you don't, I feel like pick out the first couple times you see it just because there's a lot of stuff to concentrate on and there's a lot of big performances around him like Max Moncito and Colin Farrell and Samantha Morton especially. But I just think that is the best and one of the most recent, and I'm again realizing my advice is another one, neo-noir movies that really works without feeling pastiche and it's, you know, just... Spielberg having a lot of fun without sacrificing, you know, like at the altar of cheese. Like it's still like a gritty, weird, sort of disturbing movie. That I love that movie. That stretch of Spielberg's movies from AI through probably Munich. Yeah. Um, are just I think they're it's it's so like it's probably my second favorite stretch of his movies after his first like Jaws through E.T. stretch. Like it's it even has stretch. it even has a shitty comedy tossed into the middle of it in the terminal, just like 1941 from, from back when. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I think he was making, he was one of the few filmmakers who was really sort of engaging with what America was doing at that time in popcorn terms and a minority report mm-hmm. maybe on my list later. So I won't say too much more, but Allison, what do you think? Uh, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I think. Check it so, out. Yeah. It's one that I would like to take another look at. It's one that it's been long enough that I mostly just remember the most kind of disturbing imagery of it. And the way that that has stuck with me, I think, is is kind of speaks to the world building. It does that it is so 
disturbing, but also so part of the kind of the mundanity in which they exist that no one, including the ads, the way the ads just personalize you you in a way that feels like it's basically here now, Mm -hmm. especially when banner ads follow you around uh, after you look at something online. Uh, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot there that is really nicely calibrated to be just like a step uh, past where we are in a disturbing way. And that movie always reminds me that Hollywood did wrong by Samantha Morton, who is oh, such, yeah. such a fantastic actress. And but I mean, so that's great in that movie. tough role to get famous with is the pale, <laughs> pale shrieking future yes. seer. Uh, but in like a vat, yeah. Yeah, but she's wonderful in that movie. Uh, my number four is a Marvel movie. It's The Avengers. Um, yeah, in terms of movie. filmmaking craft, it is nowhere near the other four I have on my list, but I just love this movie. I've watched this movie probably half dozen, seven, eight times. Uh, I, when it comes on TV, I can't look away from it. Joss Whedon, of course, I'm, I'm a big fan of Joss Whedon, but I think that he just nails the team dynamic in this movie in a way that literally everybody has been trying to copy since and nobody has even come close, including Joss Whedon himself. And like, <laughs> I think this is just, you know, certainly what it's done to the film industry as a whole has been probably more bad than good. But I think about some of the moments in the third act of this movie when when the characters are all finally fighting together and they're facing off against the scourge of aliens from space and like that shot of all of them standing in a circle that the camera pans around them. It's just, it's it's great, fun popcorn filmmaking and I, I, I have trouble resisting it for whatever reason. What do yeah. you guys think? I think it's totally enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, I do feel like it's hard for me to look at it now without seeing it as like the start of this terrible new stage of uh, supergroup things. I I agree. Yeah. I mean, when it came out and it's sort of like you were saying, it was one of those movies where I could watch it over and over again, have fun with it. Like it just seemed like so effortless. And now you watch it. And you are kind of like, oh, yeah, right. Here's the building blocks of Hollywood's destruction. <laughs> uh, like, but, I mean, not to sound too cynical about it. It's just uh, there. it's partly because it seems so effortless that it just seems like, great. You just get a few stars, you know, some recognizable brand name brands like your your Hulks or your Thors. Or and it's easy, right? You just have them pal around in a couple big sequences. Like, it's just very easy to see where it all went wrong. But... I even like Age of Ultron more than most people because I feel like people hate that movie now. Um, but uh, obviously this was Whedon sort of cooking with gas and with less Marvel interference, I think, with less sort of – like they were trying to see if it was going to work. Right, and yeah. now they know it works yeah. and they're watching it very, very carefully. Exactly. I can, I continue to maintain that 60 years from now, Age of Ultron will be the only Marvel movie people watch. Such um, a strange movie. It's, yeah, so, I, it's so strange hmm, and sad. It's so strange and sad. It feels like the kind of thing that will last because people like to watch strange, sad movies like <laughs> throughout time. My read on that movie is that it's about two robots debating the fate of humanity. Oh, that's, that's always I been like my that. argument for it. And it, uh, one's like, they're okay. Seriously. <laughs> and the other one's like, no, they, they suck. I right. downloaded all the news. So they're really bad. It also has that thing that I, I think has started happening a bit more of the circularity where like they create the villain that they end up fighting where you're like maybe (laughs) the world would be better if you weren't even here (laughs) what about that yeah superheroes that's true that was the kind of movie where people were like do we even need superhero movies as a concept because they keep smashing everything (laughs) and i don't know how useful they really are are you hiring do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates it can be tough to find the right person for the right job. It's like finding that needle in that haystack. 
With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then, their powerful technology efficiently matches the right person to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails, no calls to your office. You simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter recruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ziprecruiter.com slash think. That's ziprecruiter.com slash think. One more time to try it for free, go to ziprecruiter.com slash think. Uh, uh, anyway. Allison, what do you have at number four? All right. Well, I did want to include a comedy. I thought about this a lot, especially uh, when you see as a critic, when you pan a dumb comedy and then you get people yelling at you for being like, what did you expect of this? Yes. And you're kind of like, well, yeah, comedies are popcorn movies as much as action movies are. Uh, They are, I think they usually fare a lot worse with critics because comedy is subjective and also a lot of big studio comedies are not great. True. true. (laughs) And also some of them look a lot better in retrospect also. We're not great at judging them at the moment. And so my number four pick is Step Brothers. Love that movie. Yes, the 2008 movie uh, from Adam McKay, starring John C. Riley and Will Ferrell as man children who somehow <laughs> seem to have gotten stuck in kind of grotesque ways. Very grotesque. Uh, and then end up having to bunk together and hate each other at first and then become close friends. I just love the, like— liberated chaos of this movie, the way it just their non sequiturs, the way it goes with like all kinds of weirdness. It has no desire to justify. Uh, I love the Catalina wine mixer. I love prestige worldwide, the company <laughs> name. I just, I love that it basically makes fun of the kind of traditional comedy ending, which people go, ah, and right, learn a lesson works out, and right. everything works out. Like it, it kind of, it just pokes fun of that, that, that so savagely. I, you know, it is the kind of movie that I will absolutely watch when it's on TV. Like, I could never look away. Oh, but I, I do think that just its unfettered weirdness deserves a salute. Like, it was, it feels like something subversive that was snuck into the theaters, even though it is, by definition, a dumb comedy. That, that movie is aggressively surreal. Like, if I, as long as Miami Vice is on this list, but like, that movie's weirder than Miami Vice <laughs> because <laughs> there's no plot. Yes. At all. The plot is, yeah, they're brothers. They have to it's, live it's together. Like a beat, it's like a sitcom plot that sure. has like somehow gotten dented and warped Right, horribly. and we're like stuck in it and we yes. can't escape and like their parents are stuck in it. And, and, like, and they just can't. are like, why, how did we get here? What we're, happens? And then, of course, like you say, it's like, well, you know, sure, let's let's have a villain and they introduce the Adam Scott character who's this like, like monstrous being from another dimension, <laughs> like version of the sort of, you know, jerky brother. And then the ending where they're like, and now, of course, here's a third act, necessary third act twist. And again, it's like just so weird. It's so weird. He the, sings Conte singing, Partiro. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the Richard Jenkins monologue about how he always wanted to be a dinosaur. it's so straight. It's played so yep. straight. Uh, Catherine Hahn. Who She's is like wonderful. Just, that was like an early Hahn. Yeah, that yeah. was like one of the first times I remember being like, she is brilliant. Very yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Very funny. 
Um, what do you think? Adam McKay should have his Oscar for that movie. Um, no, <laughs> I didn't see this movie in theaters. I saw it in 2014 uh, at the height of Gamergate. It came on TV Ow. and it was like the two things were like feeding into each other in my brain and like really weird and exciting ways. And like I said, I've always sort of thought that that movie is in some ways like representative of our current era of like <laughs> a bunch of people who outwardly, maybe if you meet them in the real world, seem like people. And then when they're online, they're like screaming and yelling. And like this is a sort of a funny take on that phenomenon. Um, and I don't know how true that is or how much it's just like that's when I saw it. So that's what I was thinking of. But yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a very, very funny movie, even if I might give the edge slightly in Adam McKay's uh, filmography to Anchorman. But, you know, I also love Talladega Nights. Oh, yeah. Talladega Nights. Uh, I think that's a great like bushier movie, much in the same way that you're talking about Step Brothers being like a weird movie about masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I love Anchorman 2. Hmm. I like the other guys. I do feel like they lost their edge. Like an Anchorman 2 felt like it was sort of in search of something to oh, be yeah. about. Uh, the other guys, I mean, the best joke in the other guys is the one with the rock. It like, is. And, it, <laughs> it's a great and joke. It's like such a great weird throwaway joke. Uh, my number three is Minority Report, which we've already discussed quite a bit. But I, I really, I again, appreciate this period for Steven Spielberg. I love uh, the way that it sort of does predict the future. And I love the performances in it. This is, um, for me... Uh, Tom Tom Cruise has done great work since since then, but I think this is probably like his last really great performance for me in some ways. Um, he's so haunted and strange and and weird in that movie, and I occasionally still like the spiders from that movie will pop up in my dreams, and I'll be like, "Oh, what are you, spiders? What are you doing here?" <laughs> um, uh, Allison, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is the Bourne Ultimatum, which we've talked about a little. Uh, I did want to say this about it. Uh, it has what is one of what I think is the best uh, fight sequences of all time that I've ever seen. And that's the one between Bourne and Desh, who's played by Joey Ansa. Mm. It's when he runs across the Tangier rooftops and the camera like follows him as he jumps through the window. Yeah. And then they have this fight using like stuff that is around this empty apartment that is so brutal and so well choreographed. And I, this is the thing that I think the Bourne films have done the best, which is you are exhilarated by the violence and also constantly reminded of how kind of that these are like bodies taking horrible damage. Like it ends after this incredible fight sequence, it ends on such this like downer note where he's like, this guy is like kind of patting his face as he's getting strangled to death. (laughs) And it's, I just, I think that it's so well done. Uh, This also, I think was like the perfect way to end the born yeah, like agreed. mythology until we like ruined it. By- <laughs> it's the one that ends with him jumping in the water, right? Well, it's the one that ends, yeah, and that also the, the, ends with what him you, like they made us do, or, yes, yeah, yeah right, echoing right. the first film, and then also like he finds out that he he wasn't like tricked into becoming part of this right. program. He finds out that he joined it. And I felt like that was so much better than what you eventually kind of get in the subsequent board movie, which is like his backstory about his dad and all of this. Yeah. I was like, I liked it so much better that he was a regular guy who thought this was a good idea, no. you know, and like now wiped of everything, started totally doesn't know what he's doing at all. And wonders yeah. why. Did you see the Bourne legacy? I, I never did even see it. Saw that one. Oh yeah, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those those Bourne movies are really great. They're kind of the great action movies about the war on terror. Mm-hmm. For sure. You look at Jason Bourne as like just a normal American dude, and I think that that's what like makes that movie so powerful, and why the like attempt to give him backstory is so because he's symbolic of more than just himself. But I, what I also like about those movies is they make me feel like every time I watch them, like if I could get just like a little bit of training and suddenly like just you know 
kill 500 people with like my <laughs> pinky. Uh, it makes me it makes me feel like that's theoretically possible. Um, it's within the realms of yeah. <laughs> you just need Albert doable. Finney and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, six David months would, in a room. <laughs> David, do you, what, what, what do you have at number three? Number three for me is Spider Man Two, Sam Raimi's apex of comic book storytelling, uh, which I don't think has really been equaled even by the Marvel movies, which are less messy than this movie. And this movie does a lot of stuff that you, I feel like you can get away with more, essentially, in, in terms of like being more like a sort of 60s Silver Age comic book, like very high emotions, very, like everyone sort of saying how they feel to no one in particular. Uh, like the montage of him walking around town to raindrops keep falling on my head. Like, I mean, obviously these were impulses that Raimi maybe indulged a little too much in his follow-up. Mm-hmm. I know you like Spider-Man 3, Todd, because you're crazy. But, I don't, uh, I don't uh, like Spider-Man 3. That's like a strong verb, but I like sure, it more you're, than you. You're I like it more, more forgiving of it. Uh, and, and you're not the only one. I mean, there are people out there who speak up for that one. But I think Spider-Man 2 is like the best version of the sort of grand emotional hero as savior with like weight of the world on his back and thus that's too bad but also he's the hero like you know without like not uncomplicated like the scene where he fights dr octopus on the elevated train yep and saves all the people on the train and then they carry him back on their hands and uh they're like he's just a kid and uh is like that's I'd like to see someone else top some you know top that in any of these and we get like fifty superhero movies a year now yeah no that's like a spectacular scene Ugh. it's uh, Spider Man more like mm. <laughs> I love Spider Man too it was one of the last movies I cut I cut it in favor of the Avengers because I wanted to have a superhero movie just to sort of signify that that world the first time I realized that movies could be like really good television, if that makes sense, mm. the end of that movie when like there's a series of cascading reveals and basically cliffhangers is to me still sort of unequaled in terms of like setting up future storylines, but also concluding this current movie you're watching. Now, granted, Spider-Man 3 kind of whiffed on right. <laughs> every one of those storylines. but like, And was a movie that the studio interfered with a lot, I think, and that was yeah. probably part of the problem. Yeah, and uh, now we're getting Venom with Tom Hardy. So, uh, happy <laughs> Spider-Man, everybody. <laughs> we're getting a Spider-Man movie this year. I mean, we're yeah. getting we these studios trying to capture lightning in the bottle again, over and over. Now, who would have thought we'd get three Spider-Men? Right, like, three different what, like Spider-Men in 10 Isn't years. It, yeah. Well, Spider-Man 3 is 2007. So, yeah, yeah we've, we've nominally had three Spider-Men in 10 so years. So many spider At least Uncle Ben and is not going to die in this one. Well, no, maybe he'll maybe die. Maybe he will. Maybe we'll get a <laughs> Maybe it'll be like Batman versus Superman yeah. where we're like, well, at least Superman's older. I mean, Batman's older in this one so we won't see his parents die and Snyder's like, it's the first scene in the movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Can't uh, have the movie without that. <laughs> Allison, is this your favorite Spider-Man as well? Yeah, I, it was on my list as well and it was a difficult one to cut but I ended up going with Guardians instead for mm. my, my mm. superhero pick. Where are you with number two then, Allison? All right, with number two, we mentioned Pixar before, and I, I feel like there are so many, you know, you could almost make a list of these out of Pixar movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's it's tough. But I went with WALL-E, which I have at different points had different favorite Pixar movies. And I, I don't know if WALL-E is my favorite Pixar movie, but it's also the one that feels the most like a riff on a summer plot, the disaster movie. Sure. You know, it is a sure. post-apocalyptic disaster movie. And I think... There also are very, kind of a spaceship movie a, at the end Yeah, there. sci-fi yeah. movie. I mean, I, there are very few movies that I remember watching that have like that kind of like 
tremendous cinematic quality and that kind of like haunting quality of the opening sequence in which you understand what the plot of Wally is and the world it's taking place on. And it is so cheerful and dark at the same time. Understandably, the second half does not kind of live up to that first uh, part, just because the first part is so singular and so weird and like daring. But I do think there is a lot to the parts on the spaceship where you have uh, all of remaining humanity flopping around the spaceship like these like (laughs) fleshy beanbags, you know, piling up like when the ship tilts. I I think that it is a potentially easy dig. The idea of humanity as kind of like sedated with entertainment and sugar and this as like the easiest way to live out the rest of their lives. But I think, uh, you know, the movie is not cheap with it. And I I, I do think that anyone can look at that and kind of wince a bit. Uh, It's not something that's something you can easily dismiss. And I do think even the ending of this movie is both cheery and dark because it does not give you great hope that everyone is going to restore the earth to its former glory. No one seems particularly competent and capable of that. Uh, And I I just think that that's such a kind of like wonderfully complicated story to tell and yet so classic as well. I mean, it is, you know, this love story between these two archetypes. Right. The end of that movie is, look, we can grow one plant that we yes. have nothing to do with. <laughs> On this blasted earth. Right. <laughs> Let's start over. Uh, I, I was just going to say, I also have Wally at number two, so I won't, I won't believe oh, wow. it. But like, well, there you go. I definitely like was mad at Pixar for releasing The Incredibles in November, because that would be <laughs> my pick. That would be like my number uh, one. I, I agree. That's my favorite Pixar movie, and I would have put it on if we're at quote-unquote summer. Yeah, yeah. But I, I I thought a lot about like Ratatouille. I thought about yeah. um, Inside Out. I thought about Toy Story 3, like, they've had a lot of, and it's it sort of, again, is an interesting stretch of, like, we don't question those movies as summer blockbusters, but, like, WALL-E is a movie about a robot in a post-apocalyptic hellscape. Like, <laughs> Who likes Hello, Dolly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the and movie. I, I remember when WALL-E came out, I, was, I wasn't quite as blown away by it as some of the critics, and it's grown in my estimation over time, and I think it's because... It was so easy to read it when it came out in 2008 as like a critique of American excess or whatever. And now it feels a little more general as we sort of escape that era, if that makes sense. Um, But yeah, I I think it's interesting to look at that era of Pixar just making these unquestioned string of like movies people really liked, if not thought were, you know, masterpieces. And now they're releasing God, what are they doing this year? Cars 3. Cars 3. I, I, and uh, don't they have another movie this they year? Do, no, they uh, do. They yes. do have Cars 3. Uh, oh, the, Coco, Coco. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. in the fall or yeah. whatever. Yeah. It's a very like one for us, one for them kind of thing. One, one hopes. <laughs> I, look, the thing with Cars 3, I, I really don't care about the Cars movies. I don't know if you guys care about the Cars movies. No. Now, I, those movies made money and obviously were very popular children. Yes. And time has actually passed. Enough time has passed that there might be teenagers and even 20-somethings mm. who are nostalgic for the Cars movies, yeah. which is what this Cars 3 is playing on because Cars 3 is literally about, like, Lightning McQueen gets – like, it's about the characters of Cars <laughs> rather than just, like, here's another car movie. And I am fascinated to see if that's – If that there's holds. something that can be done. Right, because obviously last year they do, like, Finding Dory, and it's like, well, yeah, right, a beloved – movie from 15 years ago, has their brand basically sustained so well like that we're going to, Cars 3 is going to do well. People turn out for a lot of movies with bright colors, animated (laughs) that uh, that their children will like, yes. I have no great love for the Cars movies. I think the first one's okay and the second one's terrible. 
Uh, but I have a, a GPS app called Waze, and I changed the voice in that to Lightning McQueen. Uh, and every time he says "kachow," I'm like, "Thanks, Lightning." So uh, I'm like getting hyped for Cars Three, thanks to my GPS. Nice, <laughs> um, David. What's your number two? My number two movie, and uh, it's sort of hard for me to pick between these two, but it's I'm, I'm guessing maybe one of you guys has this movie: Mad Max Fury Road, the 2015 apocalyptic it is possible uh, masterpiece it is on my list by yes. australian madman george miller <laughs> starring venom himself tom hardy and uh charlie's theron and nicholas holt and a bunch of other people that's the movie when i saw it where i was like oh this is a whole new kind of action movie like right yeah. like well, i've never seen anything like this yeah. and th- this is the thing to aim for now or like the game has been changed I mean how many sort of cliches can you bust out about it but like Lee I think you were talking about two years ago it felt like oh god it's all sequels it's all franchises like is there really anything more to be done and then like this came out here's I, a sequel yeah. and a reboot and right. like in and a like franchise years later years, a revival of years, a franchise yes. you don't think anyone would care about yeah. and it like of course is this like completely electrifying like bit of like propulsive storytelling it doesn't waste like a second of screen time for any of its. I mean, we're going to talk about it more. So I throw it to you guys. This uh, also may feature on my. Yeah, list. I mean, right? I mean, I picked a different number one though. So at all least, right, there well, we go. Then let's, yeah, maybe we should keep talking. About let's it talk then. about Mad Max. Let's just let's do it. Yeah, um, yeah. It is my number one. Yeah, uh, it is number one on my list, and there was never any question for me <laughs> that it would be number one on my list. I just, it has so many images that are seared in my brain. You know that I thought were just just felt so alive and electric. It is so exciting, not just in these giant, epic, ridiculous car chases, but also just in these small moments. You know, I just the relationship between Furiosa and Max and the kind of trust they reach and this like mutual acknowledgement of great competence that they kind of have in (laughs) silence, like mostly in silence without ever needing to talk about it. The ways in which that is done in between these wild set pieces is really something remarkable. And I think that Charlize Theron gives one of the great blockbuster performances. Like Tom Hardy's good. All the actors in this movie are good. Charlize Theron is like some next level. Yeah. It's her movie. Yeah. And uh, I was, I am, I have always been sort of a Charlize Theron skeptic, but like this movie single-handedly made me believe in her, her power. Mm -hmm. This is, like you said, uh, just beautiful, full of images that stick with you, full of moments that stick with you, full of like characters who are in like two shots like the the doof warrior who for if you haven't seen this movie is the guy who plays a <laughs> a fire spewing guitar uh, he's cool uh, he's my and, friend and like you put conan o'brien in that costume and people are just instantly <laughs> like yep that's who that guy is and he's in maybe a minute of this movie um but yeah, like uh, here's here's what I found with Mad Max Fury Road. Everybody I talk to online loves it. Everybody I've talked to in the real world who I don't necessarily interact with online hates it. And I'm wondering hates if it. you have met people who hate this movie because it seems so strange. Hate to me. is strong. Yeah, I, have, I know people yeah. who think it's a bit much, maybe, mm-hmm. or like they couldn't quite understand. I, yeah, like, I have met people who have felt like they they were kind of mystified by it because right. it does it's so mystifying. little. Right, it has a, no desire to give you exposition. For and people part, are you know, shouting it, things yeah. like, I'm away to do Valhalla and like, you know, right. witness me. And where you're like, what's he saying? It's like, set you know, in an alien world right. that basically requires you to keep up with how little is left of modern day humanity at all. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's also one of those movies that I think is another sort of sub-blockbuster type that is a little prevalent now, which I call, like, concept art, the movie. Uh, <laughs> wait, but, like, to me, this one works, obviously. Yeah. But, like, 
the do for the things you're talking about, like that's like that's some great visual idea that someone had, be it George Miller or a designer on the movie. And uh, the movie's so loaded with all those ideas, but uh, manages to weave them into like a world that you understand, a story that you're following. And like, I do like the movies that try to do this and fail, like Oblivion, the Joseph Kaczynski mm-hmm. movie. There's another one that's obvious that's sort of on the tip of my tongue. But like these movies that are like all visual, all like leading just with all these cool looking ideas, but then all forget design, to yeah. do much except like put a sort of boring three X structure, like Hollywood script on it. Like, and Mad Max Fury Road is one of the ones that, you know, it gets has, everything it right. It has this beating heart. And I think yes. that that's something that is missing a lot yes, in blockbusters. Sure. And I will say, I'm not a practical effects fetishist. Uh, right. I, you know, I do think, though, that you see more and more movies in which computer-generated imagery has made everything possible. And yet, it's never used in a very imaginative way. You know, how many beams of light do people need to fight? How many buildings falling down? <laughs> like, Boy. certainly the chases in this have a physics that you can feel, you know, yeah. that like they feel real in a way that you don't even notice is missing this weight until until you watch something like this that mm-hmm. is mostly done with practical, with actual cars and with actual people like flying around the, the, on things. The practicality is crucial, obviously. I mean, right. You know, the, these things exist is, is important. This movie also so was good. one of the four or five best reviewed of that year. It won six Oscars. Which is a, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> a it's lot a sequel of, to Mad Max. But a, it's also the like... fourth it's Mad cr- Max But the thing movie. is like, it is crazy as an Oscar movie, but right. it is also crazy as a blockbuster. Yes, you know, true. like It doesn't, it feels so unlike everything else that comes on screen these days. That he it, got, what did he get, $150 million yeah, dollars to make like, it or whatever? How did he trick someone into doing that? Absolutely bonkers. It's amazing. Honestly, the answer is, is actually Happy Feet, which is nuts. But that's actually the reason he had made so much money off of Happy Feet that he actually had some cachet. And that's what he used it on. And uh, God bless him. So worth it. It is sort of this sign of like a lot of these movies we've talked about have been very well reviewed or have won Oscars sometimes both. Like Born Ultimatum won a few. Wally, of course, won a couple. And like you think about the sort of stereotype is film critics awards don't like big movies that people actually like to go see. But, I mean, they do, like, if they're good. Yeah. You know? If, if right. there's overlap. If they're good, yeah. And there's less and less overlap. But, of course, I mean, the thing that really blows my mind is you look back to the 80s, you see movies like Rain Man being the number one movie of its year or whatever. Right. You know? Even the fact that Saving Private Ryan was the number one movie of 1998, like, that's a three-hour war movie that came out in the summer. Yeah. It is crazy to think of a movie like that coming out in the summer. It would never come out in July now. It would well, just come out in November. They'd Don be like, Kirk this is an Oscar. Is coming out. Yeah, wow. Nah. Yeah, yeah. My, my man Nolan likes to break the rules. <laughs> he, he wants it to is be sad Spielberg. that none of us put Nolan in this, huh? He wants to be Spielberg, I think, Chris Nolan. I think For so sure. Yeah. 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 But he's a, he's a little chillier, a guy. He is. He doesn't he's sort have of Spielberg the, meets Michael Mann or something right. like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not as big an, a Nolan fan no. as some we've other had people. Some fights. But we've, we have had some fights. But I will say, I, you know, I think I'm more interested in his movies that don't kind of feel popcorn y. Which is why I'm very curious about Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get yelled at for certain Batman omissions here, but uh, on these. <laughs> I, I like all, well, I don't really like the third one, but, I, you know, I like Batman Begins and Dark Knight a lot. And I, I thought of both of them an inception for this list for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, let's, this, talk, yeah let's, I don't know. Let's talk a little bit about what we it's did. a lot of movies. Yeah. <laughs> what we yeah. did leave off. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow, which I'm really sad didn't make my list because I love that movie. And yeah. uh, that is also a movie that I like own now and is so rewatchable like a great movie to rewatch and so much fun and you were dissing Tom Cruise earlier I think that's a great Cruise performance okay. uh, that's playing on his movie star jerk 
classic Tom Cruise, few good men Tom Cruise persona. And then obviously like sort of deconstructing it and then building it into something else. And Emily Blunt is so spectacular in it. And he's great. The action's cool and it's a cool movie. Allison, what's one you left off your sad um, blues? Uh, I'll just, I'm going to cheat and give a, a few clumps of movies. Mm-hmm. I thought about Mission Impossibles, uh, mm-hmm. especially four. I thought about Hellboy. Oh, I love Hellboy. Yeah. And, to, and, two. and two. I love Hellboy, Hellboy too, too yeah. which I think I might even like more. Me too. Yeah. And I thought about Edgar Wright and he, it makes movies like was love. Scott Pilgrim's summer movie? I was it trying to was. remember. It was like August, I, I, I think maybe. They, yeah, and uh, same with World's End. Yeah, uh, and I think Hot Fuzz was as well. So, I I consider those, and then also the the total out of left field one that I I just wanted to give a shout out to is Red Eye, the Wes Craven movie. I like that. I movie. adore. I haven't seen that movie in years. <laughs> I feel like you like that movie, Todd. I do. I like that movie. I really wanted to get a horror movie on there, a horror movie or a comedy, and I just I, I couldn't do it. Um, there were a few horror movies I thought about, but none none of the they were either like way too indie, or they just weren't good enough. Like I thought about The Conjuring for a while, but no, it, it's not one of the five best. It's a good, it's a movie, damn good but, movie, yeah. Yeah. worth shouting out. But I would agree. Yeah, uh, another one I forgot uh, is Speed Racer, which I just didn't include, just not oh, to Speed troll. Racer. Because I feel like that would be. I mean, I like, considered it. Uh, it was on my of, long list. It's one of my absolute favorites. I love uh, yeah. the Wachowskis. Completely. I mean, talk about getting money to do something that like was just <laughs> oh, wildly sure. crazy well, for any then, Hollywood thing that was going to make money. And then they made Jupiter Ascending. Then as they well. made Jupiter Ascending, which like, is not summer, but is also good, right. and it's not quite as good as Speed Racer. No. Speed Racer is the closest successful attempt I've ever seen to actually trying to make a live-action movie feel like a cartoon, I guess is the best way to put it. It is so visually ahead of its time, and it is so steadfastly committed to its tone of, you know, being like a cartoon for children, essentially, like a living cartoon for children, while at the same time being this, like, utterly cynical movie about capitalism, the studio system, (laughs) how when you make the Matrix sequels, no one likes you for it. Like, it is such a crazy personal movie, considering it is also a straightforward adaptation of a 60s Japanese cartoon. That movie's crazy. The movie that I cut that I felt most bad about because it would make people say, what the fuck are you thinking? Was, uh, (laughs) and I know you love this movie too, David, was uh, Superman Returns. Which Great is, movie. Another one I, I almost included. I can't for, go there with you guys. Oh, Sorry. So good. <laughs> uh, that movie to me is so gorgeous and so weird and ethereal and like so interested in like superheroes, not as characters, but as gods. What would it be like to actually know yes. God? And it's also like right. a weird post-September 11th movie in a lot of ways. It is. And it's a lot of things. Brian Singer is a director I'm very hit and miss with, but this and X2 uh, are the two movies where I feel like he just kind of nailed it. I think part of the problem that with people rejecting that movie is that the best action sequence, the plane rescue, happens at the end of the first act. And then you have like a long, a long there period really of time. isn't another action sequence yeah. after that. That That's is just the- like Kevin Spacey making noises and uh, <laughs> talking about absent fathers. But to me, it is perfect. Great movie. I mean, to me, fascinating in its imperfections, but also yeah. the kind of movie you wouldn't see anymore, which is Brian Singer coming in being like, you know what's great? 1978 Richard Donner film, Superman. I'm going to make this stirring homage to it. And the studio was like, yeah, sure, fine. Now, and then you see Snyder, Zack Snyder's attempt at a Superman movie is essentially like, you know what I hate is that movie and that idea of Superman. <laughs> he's an alien and he's excluded from our world. And, you know, like in all that, and like he's trying to sort of rip out the kind of fundamental stuff of the earlier Superman attempts, which is, I mean, 
I get it, obviously, how many times are you going to do the same movie? But I prefer the Brian Singer version, which is just a sadder version mm. of the Richard Donner movie. And it's much more, obviously, overt with the sort of modern age Christ stuff. What a, what a, what a weird movie. I yeah, like there's movie. like a lot of Watchmen in Zack Snyder's version. For sure. Yeah. It, it, more than maybe in his Watchmen movie. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Allison and I both had Mad Max Fury Road at number one. David, I have absolutely no idea what your number one is. So I want to <laughs> I want to hear it. What is it? It's been mentioned. It's my favorite movie in the universe. It's not true, but I, it's a movie I love <laughs> and have seen 100 million times, which is Mission Impossible, colon, Ghost Protocol, which is a superb, perfect work of action filmmaking that is essentially a two-hour dance movie. Mm. It's basically a ballet. It is... All, like, movement and color and, like, spy iconography, I guess. It doesn't even really have characters. Not really. It's sort of it the beginning. types of characters. Types, yes. Yeah. It's sort of the beginning of the Mission Impossible. Like, because Mission Impossible 3, which I also like, I'm, I'm sort of sure. fond of the Abrams movie, is about, like, Ethan Hunt, what about him as a guy? You know, he has a wife, maybe? Like, maybe he wants to quit. Mission Impossible 4 is like, no, he is just, like, this sort of, this like being of pure energy that is crazy and like <laughs> uh, does not obey any law or any kind of like sort of you know human constraint and he can climb buildings and he can he just like you put him in a situation with a paperclip i mean i love rogue nation too where the the twist is he can literally memorize the nuclear codes uh, <laughs> like things like that um but uh but ghost code call bro, go, go to call <laughs> is my favorite cuz i think brad bird's just such an exciting director of action. Like, you know, and like all those sequences, like the one where Jeremy Renner's wearing the magnetic vest and he's being like piloted around this like <laughs> hot engine. You remember this scene? Mm-hmm. It's so weird, like by the by the little rover. Uh, like it's all of just about like movement and dance. That's the best way to put it. It's just, it's just a dance the movie. The Burj Khalifa. Yes. But, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the last time I gasped. In a movie theater, like uh, unabashedly, uh, is when he misses, I think, the jump, and he's holding on by like one magnetic glove on the Burj Khalifa, the uh, the super tall building in in Dubai. Ugh. I love the Mission Impossible movies. This is my yes. favorite of them. Uh, yes, I really would have included it, but for one thing, which is that it came out December fifteenth, two thousand eleven. Oh. Why did Shocking I think it was a summer oh, movie? My All goodness. of the others. All right, well then, Edge of Tomorrow. So, no. uh, <laughs> David Sims is banned. Is no. banned. For some <laughs> reason, I just assumed it was a summer movie, and I, I guess I didn't do my homework. Feel summary. It is the it, last. It, the fifth one was a summer movie. Yeah, there. That's like, probably why. The I was other probably four, thinking of the fifth one. Yeah, the other four well, all came out in summer. So you know, I like the fifth one a lot. <laughs> I do good. enjoy it, but I don't <laughs> think it could make my five. I'm like sort of struggling. Another one I just remembered that I forgot about, and I'm pretty sure this was May, is the Abrams Star Trek. Yes. Which I know you have always been a little middling on, Todd. Oh, no, I like that one a lot. Into Darkness is terrible, but I like the first one. Yeah, that one is rough. Um, But that's that's another sort of one where I really love watching it, but at the same time I'm kind of like, this started a problem in Hollywood (laughs) of like— uh, people being like, yeah, you can just sort of sex up a franchise, right? Like, it's easy. Anything, any brand name is easy to sort of like just jazz into the future. Yep. Yeah. Because uh, you just, we we were talking Baywatch a little bit earlier, and I feel like there's there's other examples. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry about Ghost Protocol, no, but I'm fine. glad I, that I got to praise it. It is a summer movie in spirit, which is right. what counts. Why did it come out in December? Uh, I don't know. That's weird. 
it made a lot of money then. Maybe that's why. I don't know. It, 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 it did actually make a ton of money. It was sort of the cruise comeback movie, actually. I, I, I think that was one of those movies that I saw when I had gone home for the holidays. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is, that's a huge, like, movie market. Then you're, like, home for the holidays. And then what movie do you go see, maybe with your parents or yeah. grandparents? What, I mean, that's, isn't that the idea? That It's one reason I'm sort of surprised that the superhero movie has hit so hard is, like, wasn't the idea of the summer movie always something that everyone could agree on? Like, wasn't that always the sort of, like, uh, the pitch of the summer movie? And now it's like, really? Everyone wants to go see Doctor Strange or whatever? Like, is that is that really everyone can, like, three generations can agree on Doctor Strange or, uh, I don't know, I feel like, uh, Suicide Squad? I feel like Ghost Protocol, as far as Tom Cruise goes, like, he went from your cool boyfriend to, like, your friend's hot dad. And Ghost Protocol <laughs> is, like, the first one where it's like, this is your friend's unhinged dad who free climbs right. buildings, and he really yeah, does he's it, like and it, it's cool. in the grip of a crisis, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, you sort of kind of admire, like, he seems like he might be fun to hang out with, but only for, like, a little bit. And then maybe you need to let him go do his thing. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, there are only so many things left for him to hang off of now. What's he's he going to hang off of? In the tallest six. building in the world. I don't know. Uh, it's, Zeppelin. It's a good question. Because uh, you know how five, the advertising whole campaign was literally just like, he hung off of a plane. Like, that. that's all they needed to do. <laughs> and then they, like, in a really trolly way, that was, like, basically the pre-credits sequence. He just led with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, there, there he is, as yeah. you knew. And um, I feel like go, go to call, but also Rogue Nation, like, they are trading on that idea where they know Tom Cruise's public profile now is that he's kind of weird. Like, he's no longer an everyman. He sort of confuses people. So why not make movies about how he's crazy? Like, you know, right? Like about how he just does stuff he's that doesn't make any sense. capable of anything. I think Alec Baldwin in Rogue Nation calls him the literal manifestation of destiny, something like that, <laughs> in this, like, very aggressive speech to uh, the British prime minister. It's a great scene. Mm. Anyway, sorry for ruining the game. No, that's no. fine. You did, you, you did great, David did great um thank you for joining me guys uh david where, oh, can, where can people find you on the internet uh, i'm at david all sims on twitter mm-hmm. uh my work is at the atlantic uh you can read me there and uh yeah i have a podcast with my friend actor griffin newman where we talk about movies like these movies often really we've talked about a few of them uh called blank check allison where can people find you you can find me on Twitter at Allison Wilmore, and my work at BuzzFeed is at buzzfeed.com slash Allison Wilmore, and the podcast I do with Matt Singer, Film Spotting SVU, which focuses on streaming movies and occasionally television and what's new to streaming and a big review. Uh, you can find that at filmspottingsvu.com. Both great podcasts. You should listen to them. Both great writers. You should read them. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. I Think You're Interesting is hosted and executive produced by Todd Vanderwerf. In case you hadn't guessed, that's me. Now I'm going to read to you closing credits, which are the highlight of your week every week. I know. Vox Podcast is headed up by Marty Moe and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishak Kurwa. Our sound designer is Miles Ewell. Our logo design is thanks to Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Ulrich. Our production coordinator is Paige Bethman. Our audio engineering and post-production are thanks to P3 Post. This week's episode was recorded in two studios, the Vox Media Podcasting Space in New York City and our beautiful Los Angeles Santa Monica studio at the Village Workspaces in Santa Monica. Our editor is Peter Leonard, and this week's recording engineer was Jade Brooks. I'll be back next week with a slightly more normal episode where we'll be talking to someone from the world of arts and entertainment, somebody that I just think is interesting. Until then, however, if you find yourself in a post-apocalyptic hellscape, learn how to play the electric guitar right away. Or be a robot. I don't know. Both of them seem to work out pretty well. Mm
This is a really nice setup. I mean, yeah. I you have windows envious. in here, which is also like wild. To think, like in my podcast studio, like the the soundproofing molts onto my jacket. Oh yeah, 